One of the incredible benefits of being a child of God. Uh, I don't know about you, but we live in a day and time where it's nothing but fear at every corner. Uh, it's amazing to me. But when you realize who you are in Christ, uh, He has overcome all your fears. Amen? Uh, I mean, the greatest fear we have is death, right? And, and He has conquered it. Uh, so therefore, uh, we don't have to fear any longer. We can walk in the freedom of being a child of God. May God bless us today as we've worshipped, as we continue to worship today. I, I want to begin a series uh, of helping us to understand our mission here at Freedom Bible Church. Our mission is to, say it with me, let's all stand. Let's all stand one more time, I'm sorry. You ready? To lead people to upward, inward, outward impact through Jesus Christ. Now before you sit down, tell somebody next to you, impact somebody this year. Now you may sit down. <laughs> uh huh. Lisa said she was already impacting Mark. Already. That is a good thing. Good thing. As we look today into the Word of God, I want us to see what it means that we lead people to an upward impact through Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to deal with today. Next week, I'll talk about the inward part, and then the following week, the outward part, okay? I want you to be clear about what our mission is here at Freedom Bible Church, because we want you to join in with everything you have to be a part of it, amen? I believe this is God's call for all the churches everywhere, is that we're called to have an upward impact with Jesus Christ. In order to do that, there's three things I want to look at today, is this, is God's attributes, God's aim, and God's ambition. Those are the three things we're going to look at here today. First of all, God's attributes and nature. Thank you, brother. God's attributes and nature. Some of God's attributes. The first one that comes to mind is the omni-attributes. The first one is the omniscience of God. It's important that you understand who God is. Because if you don't understand who God is, you're not going to be able to appreciate the gospel of Jesus Christ and be what God wants you to be. Amen? Now, as we look at this, first of all, the omniscience of God. What does that mean? It means all-knowing. That God is all-knowing. Now, listen. I know a lot of mothers that think they say things like this. Remember, your mother knows everything. And they put that fear in you thinking they really know everything. And you believe that. Yeah. And yet, the reality is they don't know everything. I hate to bust mom's bubble today, but she doesn't know everything. Now, there is one that does know everything. And that is God. And look with me in Psalm 139. It says this. This is David, as he is taking a look, and God is speaking to him. And David says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Young people, let me encourage you with this. This is a double-edged sword. Remember this. God knows everything. He knows everything that's going on in your life. 
He knows your thought life. He knows your text life. He knows your computer life. He knows your relationship life. Hallelujah. Amen or oh me. Or amen and oh me. He knows everything. Listen, this is what's so beautiful about it. You're going to see this later. Even though he knows everything about you, he loves you deeply. Second thing about God is this, is that he's omnipotent. Meaning this, he's all-powerful. Now watch this. We've got an all-knowing God that we're in a relationship with, and we have an all-powerful God that we're in a relationship with. In Jeremiah 32, verse 17, it says this, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Now, that, that encourages me. Because I have somebody, listen, before I come to Christ, man, I was bound, and I was blind, and I was beaten, and I can tell you, everywhere I turned, I couldn't find the help that I needed, but when I found God, when God found me, it's an amazing thing, the things that I couldn't quit, the power of God come into my life. He infused in me his strength and ability to be able to say no to those things and yes to things of God. Wow. I hadn't got over the power of God because it's the omnipotence of God that's still changing lives to this day. Still. Here's another attribute. is the omnipresence of God. Watch this. He is present everywhere at all times. Wow. <laughs> this God is all-knowing. He knows everything about what's going on in your life. He's all-powerful. He's able to handle anything in your life. And he is omnipresent. It means wherever you go, wherever you are, no matter what time, whether you are in Africa, India, Russia, United States, God's there. Isn't that powerful? Think about it. And so that helps me. It's sort of a, all these attributes are a double-edged sword. Amen. <laughs> I mean, the reality is that he is present everywhere, meaning every time I'm thinking or doing or acting in such a way with an attitude that I have, his presence is there. He, he knows of all about that. Look, look what the psalmist said again in Psalm 139. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Here's a question he's asking. Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in other words, the Sheol, the word Sheol there means uh, where, the living, where the dead are, okay? If, if, if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, now watch this, here's what many of us have done. Surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. I can hide. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are light to you. Wow. You know why we sin at night? Because we think nobody sees us. Amen? That's, that's how it works. But watch this. God, the darkness and light, as bright as the day. Here's another great attribute. 
He's immutable. And I love this one. Boy, do we need to grab a hold of this. Now, every one of these attributes, every one of these things I could, tell, I could have a whole message on, okay? Because I'm not going to do that for you today, okay? But immutable means this. He's not susceptible to change. He's not susceptible to change. Now, think about this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, this is exciting to me because in a day and time where everything is being shaken, Everything is being shaken, and God is shaking everything in our world. You know why? Because He's wanting us to grab a hold to the anchor of who He is, the immutable God that does not change with every wind that comes through. He doesn't do that. He is immutable. He doesn't change. Now, let me give you some of the characteristics of His nature. He is holy. He's holy. It means this is that he is pure and, and sinless and righteous and set apart. That's what holy is. Something holy is set apart, is separated, different from all other persons or things. It is something that God has set aside for himself. He is holy. God is said to be preeminently and supremely holy. He possesses an incomparable majesty, a glory so supremely majestic that beings surround his throne day and night, beings who do nothing but sing out the praises of his holiness. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah was mourning over this earthly king that just died, was a great man, and Isaiah was really having a difficult time, and God encountered him in his time of, of having his pity party, and he revealed to him who he was, the king of kings and the lord of lords. And the Bible says this, and one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is holy. Watch this. God is just. God is just. Just means he is fair. <clears throat> he's impartial. He's correct. And he's exact. Now, that means that God will dole out justice just like that. That's who he is. Now look what 1 Peter 1 verse 17 says. If you address as father the one who impartially, there's our word, judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. See, God's a just, job, just God. He wants us to understand that. He's holy, he's just, and why is this? He's also righteous. Righteous means this, he is perfectly righteous in his being and in his doing. He is perfect in his righteousness, in his being and doing. He can never be wrong or do wrong. He can never be wrong or do wrong. He can never be wrong or do wrong. That's why in, Paul said in, in Ephesians 4, talking about those who have been born again, into the family of God, and they're a child of God. He encourages him. He says, he, he says, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created, watch this, in righteousness and holiness of the truth. God is righteous. His nature is not only righteous, but watch this, his nature is love. Oh, I love this. 
Because Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now, let me encourage you with this. When you think of God and love, don't think of love as you know love. Because the love that we have is very conditional and it's very fickle. It's based on how good I feel today, whether I'm going to love you or not. And matter of fact, if I see you and you don't look so good, I might not be so loving to you. Some of us is a challenge today, amen? Some of us not. Not in this crowd, though. No, I'm not going to say that, Mark. I'm not going to leave it alone. But this love is a sacrificial love that does well and wishes well, hear me, no matter the circumstances. It is a love that disciplines and corrects harmful indulgence and misbehavior no matter the cost to self. Oh my, I didn't know that was love. Yeah. Listen, it is a love that demonstrates kindness and benevolence and worth even in the midst of a stormy situation. It is a love of the mind, of the will, and of the emotions. In a nutshell, it is a love that cares and gives and works for another person's good, no matter how the person may respond or treat one. That's God's love. See, God loves you in spite of you. He loves you. Listen, when, when you choose to come to church or you choose to stay, stay on St. Mattress, he, listen, he, he loves you, watch this, when, when you are working for him and when you're not working for him. He loves you when you're worshiping him and he loves you when you're not worshiping him. You know why? His love ain't based on you. His love is based on him. Listen, he will love you no matter what. Now, we can think we can take advantage of that love and say, hey, do my own thing. And guess what? His love will step in and give you what you want. And giving you what you want always brings you <clears throat> pain. And God doesn't desire to do that to you. But he doesn't do it to you. You do it to yourself. Because you chose to walk away from his love. But his love will never walk away from you. Amen? Another part of his nature is he's grace. His nature is grace. Oh, I love this. Grace is giving someone what he or she doesn't deserve. Uh, theological words we use, undeserved favor. This is how we're saved today. It was God's great love that he reached down to us and saved us by his grace. Something that you don't deserve. You see, that's what it's all about. It's God's love with his God's grace. And here's the third attribute here that I want this sort of triad is mercy. Mercy is compassion. Mercy is having pity. Mercy is tenderheartedness. I love this. Think about it. When, when God looked at me, 
I looked at me and my sin with, watch this, with despicableness, with disgust, with, you know, man, he deserves a lot of stuff because of what he has chosen to do. But how does God deal with us? He deals with us according to his tender-heartedness. Aren't you glad that God looks upon you and come to you when you have just blown it big time? And he comes to you and says, I'm going to be merciful to you, Robert. I'm going to be compassionate upon you. Matter of fact, I'm going to look down upon you with pity. Now, many of us in America, we don't like nobody having pity on us. But listen to me. If God didn't have pity on you, you wouldn't be born again today. Because you were in a pit you couldn't get yourself out of. And God in his pity reached down his tenderheartedness to pull you out of that pit, to cleanse you, to wash you, and to make you suitable so that you could be a worshiper of him. All because of his mercy. Now look what uh, Moses said in Exodus 15, verse 13. He says, in your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. See, it's God. Church, if there's anything I want you to get for this next year coming up, let's make our focus in 2016 to be about God. Not about you, not even about our church, not even about our nation. Let it be about God. And if you and I will get our minds and our hearts and our wills wrapped about knowing who God is, we will see God do great and mighty things. That's what he desires to do. You see, it is someone who does not give what is rightly due another. If we're going to have an upward relationship with God, we must have a nature like His in order to relate to Him. So the question is, by nature, are you holy? Are you just? Are you righteous? Are you loving? Are you gracious? Are you merciful? And, and of course, none of us can say, we're that way all the time. Amen? So here's the question. How can God love us? After all, he cannot violate his nature, for he is holy. He, how can he fellowship with a sinner who is unholy? This is so good. Because God is perfect in love, yet, hear me church, he hates our sin and must judge our sin. He is perfect in grace toward us, yet his justice demands our condemnation. He is perfect in holiness, yet we are all flawed and may not approach him. So what is God's solution to this conflict? How can God love us? I'll tell you how. This is what Christmas was all about. It was all about God's aim, God's Aim was, watch this, the gospel, the good news. You and I couldn't get there. We couldn't have a relationship with this God who is so other than we are. 
But God, being rich in His mercy, because of His great love, by grace, He's reached down to a people that He redeemed so that they could experience the good news of the gospel. And hear me, the gospel is this, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. It was in His Father's love that God sent His own Son to come down from heaven and die on the cross in our place. God's aim is the gospel. You need to understand God's attributes so you can see the standard that's there and you see that that standard, wow, I can't meet that standard. But God's aim is for you to have a way to be able to have a relationship back into this God who forever and ever wanted a relationship with the crown of His creation because He loved them and so his aim was the good news and that good news was Jesus Christ he lived the life that we could not live the good news is that God sent Christ to die for our sins the good news is that Christ's love is not based on our merits it's not based on your merits you can't earn your way there the Bible says this that Jesus says I am the way I am the truth I am the life No man, no woman can come before the Father except through me. It's the only way. Peter echoed the same things in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He said, there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name in all of heaven for people to call on the name of the Lord than Jesus Christ himself. God helps us to see there is but one God and one mediator also between God and men, and that is the man, the man, the God-man, Christ Jesus the Lord. Here's the good news. God recognized our complete weakness and our inability to do anything to alleviate our wretched condition and did the ultimate for us. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and yet while we were a sinner, Christ died for us. Isn't that wonderful? What great news. Paul said it this way, Christ gave himself up for me. Why? Because Christ loved me. Christ loved me. Jesus said, God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes, believes. The word believe means to rely upon, trust in, stick to, commit to. Do you believe today? Are you relying upon him today? Are you trusting him? Are you committed to him today? Or are you just committed to him right now? And when you leave here, you're going to do your own thing. That you haven't believed, my friend. The word believe is an ongoing present tense verb. It's not that I believe back there and now I just live my life the way I want to live it. No, I keep on believing, keep on relying, keep on trusting it, keep on sticking to him, keep on committing to him, and through that, he saves me. Listen to me. Conversion is not a long, drawn-out process. It is immediate and instantaneous. You don't need to clean up your life before you come to Christ. You simply need to come with all your problems, all your sins, all your shortcomings, and he will accept you just as you are. Name me one other person I'll do that. This is how we are. Well, 
My God, when you start doing right, Robert, and do everything right, then we'll talk. When you get your life in order and you fall down on your face and you beg and plead with me and then get up and beg and plead with me some more and do it some more, then I might think about it. But you don't understand. I got this long list of what you did to me and I ain't forgetting it. God ain't that way. He says, bring all your shortcomings. Bring all your failures. Bring all your problems. Bring all your troubles. Bring all your sin. Listen, he knows. Remember, he's all knowing. He knows everything. He knows what's in your heart. And you can facade it before a Christian. You can walk around. Man, yeah, I'm good. And in your heart, you know. You know. There's something wrong here. Because I don't have peace. I don't have peace. Watch this. Then me and God have a problem. And watch this. When me and God have a problem, me and human beings have problems. And this is what human beings tend to have a tendency to do over and over again. We try to focus on, well, let's try to figure this out. And I can figure out a way I can manipulate this and come up with my strategy and my scheme and my plan to fix it. And God said, uh, I made that relationship. I know all about that relationship. Uh, your heart's not right with me. Until this gets right, my heart, your heart and my heart really get right. This, these hearts are not going to get right. Some of us are in bondage. Let me tell you. And the reason why you're in bondage is because you're still holding on to your righteousness. And your righteousness, listen, is filthy rags. And it will always fall short. But I love this verse. One of my, one of my favorite verses of Scripture. I know you're going to laugh. Let's say that. John 6, 37 says, All whom my Father gives, this is Jesus speaking, gives and trusts to me, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. In other words, he's saying, I will never, no, never, I will never reject the one who comes to me. It is simply this, church. You must realize that you are a sinner and can't save yourself. But God can. You need to repent. To have a change of mind means to repent. Have a change of mind and heart about the person of Jesus Christ. That he is God and, and God can, he can save you from your sin. And then you must receive him as your Lord, as your Savior, into your life. He's waiting for that. Now watch this. God's attributes, what a standard. How awesome is he? God's aim is to give you the good news. So that, why? Here's what the whole upward impact is all about. And I don't want you to miss this because here is God's ambition. God's ambition, the reason why he lets you know who he is and what his expectations are and then he shows you his aim and the gospel that Jesus Christ has provided a way so that you can have a relationship with God. Here's his ambition behind all of this 
is that you and I would be made a worshiper of God. In John chapter 4, verse 23, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Hear me, church. The reason, listen, the whole aspect of the reason why you were created and I was created was to worship God. Some of you didn't get that. The reason why you were created was to worship God, not yourself. Not another person. Not some things. <clears throat> God created human beings with an innate desire to worship. The Bible says that God planted in the heart of every human being eternity. This desire causes people everywhere. Watch this, everywhere. This is not common just here. It's everywhere, everywhere in the world to worship. If they are not worshiping the true God, they are worshiping a God of their own appetite. Worship comes from the word worship, meaning to pay honor or ascribe worth to someone who deserves it. To worship God is to give him what is due to him. Now think about this. God is perfect in everything he is and does. Therefore, he is the only one deserving of our worship. He's it. This is why I've learned in my life as I've walked with God now long enough to know this, is that I'm a single-minded man, and my wife will tell you that. I mean, I'm doing something, and she'll start talking, and I, I don't hear. And she tells me it's selective hearing, but I, I don't agree with that, always, always. But uh, anyway, the, the point is this, is that I've learned to make it my ambition to put Christ first in my life and to worship him with everything I've got. And watch this. He helps me with everything else on this earth. It's amazing. Time, he gives me time. Energy, he gives me energy. He gives me every resource I need to be godly and to honor him with my life. Everything. This is why I tell you, church, and I always preach this over and over again, what we've got to get back to is the heart of worship. We've got to examine our hearts and say, what am I worshiping today? Is it my spouse? Is it my children? Is it my texting, my telephone, my computer? Is it, what is it? In heaven, John writes, <coughs> The angels of heaven, myriads of myriads, thousands upon thousands. This is what they're doing. Watch this. <laughs> Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, you're sitting here thinking, you mean to tell me there is angels upon 10,000 times 10,000 of angels. They are worshiping him. They are saying to him, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Think about it. This is, this is how our worship ought to be here. 
We ought to be bowing down and we ought to be paying homage to Him. We ought to be honoring Him with everything that we have because He died for your sin so that you can have a relationship with Almighty God and forever be with Him forever and ever. He deserves our worship. He deserves our worship, church. By the way, it goes on in that text and says not only the angels were doing it, but every created creature of God was saying the same thing. Wow. Are you ready for heaven? If you're not worshiping here, well, how would you want to go to heaven? Let me make this point about worship. There is no right style of worship. But there is a right kind of worship. The worship God desires, listen to me, in Hebrews 13, verse 15, listen to this. Through Him, that's Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. This is what I want you to get this morning. True worship is not just merely the singing of songs to God. We actually believe that that's worship. And that is part of worship. No doubt about it. But it is the living of our lives in a way that pleases God. In fact, our singing and praying are but the outward manifestations of a life lived daily for the glory of God. G. Campbell Morgan said this. I wrote this on the screen for you. He says, when it comes to the acts of true worship, when does a man worship? A man worships when he is what God meant him to be. I may sing every song. Uh, I left the G out there. That's my fault. In, in, the, in the hymn book, See, that spell correctness doesn't get it, does it? Uh, hymn book and never worship. I may recite every creed that was ever prepared and never worship. I may inflict all manner of scourging upon this body of mine and never worship. And the song and the sacrifice and the prayer are nothing unless I am in this one lonely individual life of mine what God Almighty meant me to be. When I am that, my whole life worships. Amen? Now, <clears throat> he listed four things I just want to just touch on real briefly to help you to see about worship in your life. Here they are. First of all, it's the fruit of our lips. Let me ask you, what comes out of your mouth? What comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. Listen, if in your heart you are still condemning, you're still critical, you're still complaining, if that is the fruit that's coming out of your lips, we need to go back to our heart and ask God to change our heart. The fruit of our lips. Listen, one of the things that should be coming out of all of our lives in 2016 is thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you saved me. A wretch like me, you saved me. You chose me out of all these people on this earth. You chose me to be a child of God. And because I'm a child of God, I will no longer be a slave to fear. Amen? The fruit of our lips. Second thing about worship is doing good and sharing. You see, true worship is glorifying God with our actions. 
You've heard the old saying, your mom and dad taught you this. Actions speak louder than what? Words. Third thing about worship is giving. Can I tell you, when you really work, you know, when we have our time of offering, it's really a time of worship. We get to give. God has blessed us, and we have the privilege and the responsibility and the delight to be able to give to the kingdom and to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Is that incredible or what? And then last, watch this, serving. So as you think about 2016, let's think about how is my life going to line up. According to the fruit of the lips of my life, What's going to come forth? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. God desires that. Are we doing good deeds? Are we sharing ourselves? Are we giving? Are we serving? That's going to be the examination that we need to have. Or do we really worship? You see, I'm convinced. Somebody told me this one time. I'll never forget it. It's not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk after you hit the ground. I'm not going to demonstrate this, I can tell you that now. See, my son's still a little bit young, okay? He can jump still. But I notice even in his jumping, it's not getting as quite as high as it used to be. And I notice when he comes down, he don't quite just jump up there really like he used to either. He's kind of wobbly, you know. I'm not going to talk about his dad because if I jump, I may fall over, okay? <laughs> but how are you worshiping God today? How are you worshiping God? Are you doing what you were meant to do? Is God having that upward impact on your life? Wouldn't 2016 be a great time to worship God and walk in His Spirit like never before? Are you worshiping God by walking in His love and His joy and His peace and His patience? I often tell people, people often share this with me, I don't have, I don't have the patience for that. What do you mean you don't have the patience for that? God never depended on you to have anything. God depended on him in you to give you all the patience you needed for whatever you go through. I knew you didn't like to hear that, but anyway. Are you worshiping God by putting away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking? Will you obey God in 2016? I close with this. Henry Varley said this, the world has yet to see what God could do with one man, one woman, who was totally dedicated to him. Here's the question. Will you be that person? If you will, you'll be a worshiper of God. And you will have an upward impact in 2016. Amen? Father, in Jesus' precious name, we thank you, we praise you, we adore you. We just give our lives to you afresh and anew, God. Because the greatest commitment ever made was Jesus Christ. He came to this earth as a baby to live as a man in sinless perfection.
and died on a cross so that I could no longer be separated from God. But I could have an intimate relationship with Him that's real and personal, all based on your incredible, amazing, awesome love. God, we're here today to just worship you. Have your way, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.